Welcome to Influence Me, a series of podcasts where the prime focus is leadership. I'm Assistant Commissioner Andrew Short, and I'm going to be hosting a series of podcasts where I get to interview a variety of guests, both internal and external to QFES. The topic is something extremely important to us, and one that is central to the success of QFES. I want to talk with these guests about leadership, and I want to learn more about leadership from the thoughts and experiences of others. I want to be influenced. Today's guest is Bruce Byte, AFSM, who is the Deputy Chief Officer for the Tasmania Fire Service. Bruce has a strong 40-year history in the firefighting industry. Previously, Bruce was the CFA's Deputy Chief Officer for Readiness and Response. Prior to that, Bruce served in a range of senior operational roles in both the Northern Territory and in Queensland. His career started in the Melbourne Metropolitan Fire Brigade in 1977. So he's really quite the journeyman. What's interesting about Bruce is he has gained a very broad perspective of the emergency service sector, having served in so many agencies across the nation. What's also interesting is Bruce is considered a person who till the day he finishes his career will be looking to make things better for the agency he serves in and for the communities we all serve. Bruce is also a believer in the important notion speak truth to the power when as a leader you have to. In today's podcast we will be discussing frank and fearless leadership. Bruce it's a pleasure to have you here with us for this podcast and today's topic is frank and fearless leadership in all its different forms. I'm just going to refer to a New Zealand government website some text I I grabbed from there which I found was a, a great snippet of what we're talking about. In that website it says Fearless and frank advice is about supporting ministers to achieve their objectives and getting the best results and services for community. But it's important that public servants are clear about what frank and fearless advice means. It's not about demonstrating fearless independence for its own sake or officials advancing their own agendas. To be effective, frank and fearless advice depends on the relationship of trust and confidence between ministers and officials and probably even broader than that within within services and departments. This requires officials to offer constructive ways through issues so that the government's objectives are best met, including being honest about the opportunities, benefits, costs, pitfalls and risks in all options under consideration. Now, Bruce, you've had a, I would say, uh, incredibly diverse and I've been lucky enough to be there for part of it. And I've watched as you've gone and jumped into other organisations, you would probably have a pretty good perspective on how we approach frank and fearless within our sector. Do you want to give me an opening comment on where do you think we are within our emergency service sector? Uh, Yes, certainly, Andrew. I think the sector itself is still pretty immature in understanding the statement that you've just read out. Over my career, I've tried to use short sentences to summarise or capture what we're trying to say or do. And the one that jumps to mind most predominantly is our role is to connect a state to station in a fire service context. And it's really about understanding what the objectives of government are and then aligning those objectives to the organisation all the way through to the workforce or the shop floor. And obviously to do that, you've got to have good planning skills and you've got to be able to connect up those dots in a way that all levels of the organisation all the way through to government understand what that is. And you're right, it's not about us telling governments what to do. 
but it's certainly about us uh, planning how to best position ourselves to achieve what we need to achieve from an emergency sector perspective, but also deliver what government is trying to achieve through their strategies and policies. Now, would you say that to be good at that, that it's pretty confronting in terms of some of the cultural nuances and, and the habits, maybe bad habits people get into when these moments come where there's a moment to be direct and frank, however, they're not always used or they're not always taken advantage of. And have you got maybe an example without naming a service or you know, situation where frank and fearless was not the game? I look, every, my, my learning throughout my career has been that every level has its own agenda. So whether that's an industrial relations environment, whether it's the workforce itself, or whether it's the political aspect of trying to join up all of this planning and strategy. And from time to time, those agendas drive the outcomes. And what we've got to do is try and navigate that very difficult space uh, and recognise that negotiation and compromise uh, are often the order of the day. Look, it's, it's a difficult place to work in. I actually don't think that the firefighters in our industry particularly understand the role of chief officers or the executive, uh, and they, they often drive from a point of altruism that, that means that they aren't prepared to shift themselves or compromise or negotiate. And then that causes issues uh, internally within an agency like a fire service. So that's not really a specific example, Andrew, but that's not a specific example, but it is, it is about trying to say that as we set the agenda in, in terms of planning and trying to deliver services to the community, oftentimes they're influenced by the direction that government's trying to go in or achieve. Yeah, and I was uh, I'd about to say that uh, the notion of public value which is the objective that we're trying to achieve here, sometimes get, gets lost in this system where because there's the, the different agendas do play. Correct. And the best example of that from a government perspective would be pork barrelling, where they're trying to influence voters to uh, win an election. I mean, I understand that. Uh, and oftentimes that doesn't deliver exactly what an agency might want in terms of strategic assets moving forward. But it is about recognising what occurs in those relationships. Uh, I think the trick is that we actually have to get our planning down, share that information with uh, our politicians and our masters so that they're able to commit uh, to things that align to our planning as well. And you're back into that frank and fearless conversation and, and conversation around trust again. Do you believe when we do that and we do that well and over a period so it's not rushed, that there's a higher chance that some of the required things that may need to happen, and they could be difficult shifts and, and particularly difficult shifts for, for different parties, that if we do it well and do it very considered and evidence-based, does that increase the chance that we can be, be influential? Absolutely. I've been fortunate enough to work in five jurisdictions across uh, this industry, and the ones who best align the planning strategies and then are able to communicate those well, line up all of the layers that sit in this, so government, local governments, agencies themselves, they line up that planning model and get the best results. 
So we're, we're in that process right now in Tasmania. We're trying to bring in um, a much more mature alignment in our planning, push that out so that we can actually see what this looks like going forward. And that gives all stakeholders an opportunity to, to influence that discussion and help shape what that looks like. It's a difficult piece of work. It sounds very simple, but it's actually a difficult piece of work. Everyone has an emotional connection a lot of times to their local brigade and their local environments. So it's very important that you are able to communicate well and share that vision uh, and actually get get the vision understood by both uh, the highest levels in government, but also the lowest levels in the organisation as well. Let's talk about that because it's easy for you and me to sit here and talk about that highest level, whether it be a, a commission, a, a chief officer, a CEO of some sort, having to influence that space. But if we take it now to the more the, the, the front line where the work happens, the skills that our people need to be able to, particularly a frontline leader, but to be able to articulate to their team uh, this connection between vision and mission. How well do you think that's done? And do you think, do you think we put too much pressure on our people to be, do that well, given where they are in their career? Do, do you know what I'm talking about here? Oh yes, I think I think what you, well, I think what you I love quotes. You know, I love quotes. Colin Powell often talks about uh, great leaders are all almost always great simplifiers, and they can cut through argument debate. Uh, and offer a solution that everyone can understand. I love that quote because, to me, you've got to be able to explain in the most complex way to the highest levels uh, using an evidence-based best practice uh, scenario. And at the at the frontline level, you've got to be able to simplify that comment so that they can see that it's of benefit to what their end goal might look like. It's very difficult to do. It's very difficult to talk about complex, intertwined planning events, an example of that, we're looking to set up a basic, intermediate and advanced capability structure spread across the whole of Tasmania. So everyone at the local level distills that back to what does that mean for me? And you've got to be able to bring that story back to that level with a sufficient, I suppose, emphasis that means that they are either accepting or able to add value to that conversation. And at the highest level, you've then got to try and explain why you're, why you're doing that body of work across the whole of the state as opposed to regional or, or, or local uh, spaces. Now, uh, just so I understand, I think what I'm, I'm trying to understand is that you're saying that the ability to shift these messages and to link things is essentially a subset of good communication, yeah? Uh, absolutely, but there's another element in my view to that as well, and that is trust. So... Uh, an example of this might be if you if you aren't a practitioner in in the sense of governance and understand the seven elements of of good corporate governance, for example, perhaps you don't even want to go and learn those things. Well, then trust that your executive level does know that. And I've got to say, this is one of the hardest things in our industry because what I've found is that everywhere I've worked, there is suspicion and a lack of trust, and we are relationships orientated. So. And yet our, uh, the scope and scale of our industry doesn't allow for relationships uh, necessarily to develop right through that uh, gambit. So it is exceptionally difficult for a chief officer to visit every fire station. Now, we, we do our best as we try to do those things, but uh, myself as the deputy chief of Tasmania, the expectation is that I visit every station and every shift. And that's, it's just almost an impossible task 
So implicit in that is that there has to be an element of trust that we know what we're doing. And that adds to the complexity, I think, of people accepting uh, what we're doing. And that, hence, hence why planning is so important. If we get the planning down, everyone can read it and see it and start to ask their leadership group the questions they need to ask to understand why we're going in the directions we're going. It's certainly, I would agree that the planning, when it's done well and standardised, it gives, provides another vehicle for that for that standardised message on mission is the way I kind of articulate that. And then underpins it with, you know, how we're going to go about it and how we're going to achieve it and, and all those different bits. Just want to touch a bit more on, uh, and you talked about our, our industry being very relationship-based, and I think what comes with that is, uh, situations where where there's a good sound relationship locally with you know, maybe within a team across a team uh, high trust in that local leader if that local leader is generally connected to the higher order missions that's when I tend to see things go really well it's certainly clear that you know, relationships are either going to make it or break it is that been I think that's been your observation if I'm hearing you correctly yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I've, I've loved quotes, as I said, and I've tried to actually create a quote of my own. And I, I, I use the phrase that people can make uh, failed systems work and they can also make great systems fail. And you can switch that out to be, instead of systems, you can switch that out to be relationships or people. I've also talked about building credits in the bank, and, and I, I'm not too sure where I've got that a particular premise from, but it's really about uh, when you build relationships with people, you actually make deposits in your bank. And if, if you make an error or a mistake, you're making a withdrawal. If you come into an organisation new, you have a zero bank balance. You don't have any credits. So if you do something that the workforce or workplace doesn't necessarily agree with, you've made a withdrawal and you've gone into the negative. And that is a, another good example of how the relationship aspect suffers or or the trust is then lost. And, and it's why I think leaders have got to be so clear in their own mind about how they conduct themselves, how they engage with the workplace and the standards that they bring and set in that in that sense, because often time we don't have the credits in the bank to start with. No, no, we don't. And 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 I do have an ex expression on my own, which is, you, know, you have one opportunity to make a first impression. And as I've seen, it's very difficult when that first moment or first engagement with people, first interaction uh, becomes a negative experience. Bruce, just to your point about credits in the bank, if we can just kind of explore that a bit further, do those credits come into play when you need to be direct with someone and maybe someone who's you know you've actually built up a bit of trust and you've got to deliver a message to them that they probably won't like it It might be a correction of approach or behavior or whatever what's been your experience there look I, I, i'd have to say i've actually probably had experiences where i failed in that regard and i've had experiences where i've been successful in that regard what i've learned is that if you truly consistent as a leader, and it's ex exceptionally difficult to do because it's always moder uh, moderated by how someone sees you, but if you're truly consistent as a leader and you've conducted yourself in a way that is open, then people will accept bad news from you if you if you deliver it with the view that it's about improvement, not punishment. So I've, I've had to talk to many people about things that could be described as not necessarily positive, and they've taken it quite well. And it really is about seeing it as a learning opportunity and trying to move forward and grow rather than as a penalty or a, um, 
a, pu- a punitive. Yeah, punitive, yeah. yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, pu- punitive is a word that comes to mind, and I find that I, I do, and again, uh, like yourself, uh, many examples where I haven't been the best I could be on that, and it's been a bit of a learning experience for me. But now I, I try to be very careful about you know, separating the matter from the person and, and something I try to keep in my mind is I might be hard on the matter, but I'll, I'll try to be soft on the person. And sometimes in our, in, our, in our industry, I think we mix that up a little bit and that's always problematic. Bruce, I want to take us now into this next phase and these are the five questions which I ask every guest. And again, it's not about you know, a long answer. It's not about you having to consider and it's just about what comes into your mind when you hear that question. So the first question is, what do you wish you really understood? Well, for me, I, th- I think it's about what's needed for all of the generations that we now manage in terms of change. I see that change is, I, I personally, I'm charmed by change. So I think I do understand it. Where, where um, I need probably clarity or further clarity is all of the generations. And we've, if in our fire industry now, we've got everything ranging from you know ba- baby boomers right through to uh, millennials, etc. All of those generations are different, yet we come out with a single uh, approach to change when, in fact, we need uh, it to be multifaceted. So for me, I, I wish I really understood that well because I, I go forward with strategies from time to time about trying to introduce something and I haven't quite hit the right uh, note or key for certain groups within the organisation. So that for me is a continuous process of learning. Yeah, I agree. The second question is, what do you wish that other people understood about you? That's a really good question, Andrew. The um, uh, understand about me. Uh, look, I would. Uh, uh, I think I'm pretty simplistic, but I'm. You know, when I talk to others, I think they think I'm quite complex. I think if they understood that, firstly, there's no get squares in me. There is no retribution. Uh, there is only an op- uh, a, a genuine search for an opportunity to take the organisation forward. Because I think people are, are too concerned about uh, what comments or actions or will mean to their, their future and their future career. So what I wish they understood about me was, no, let's focus on the prize and just try and land that and, and keep going forward to make uh, our industry better and safer. Thank you. Third question, what type of leader do you prefer? I suppose one that's open and honest. I mean, I've studied leadership, as I, I know you have too. You know, I'm very, very fond of, uh, of the, the Coos and Posner model, for example. Uh, you know, I've, I've looked at the transformational, situational, adaptive leaders. I, I actually don't know if there's a, a preferred model. I think to be a leader today, you actually have to be very skilled and understand all of the, the, the theory aspects to leadership. There is time for the autocratic leader in, in our uh, particular environment because we're a command and control organisation. But equally, I mean, we have to be transformational in um, the way we conduct ourselves and do business. To me, I think the type of leader I prefer is the one that's honest and open and supportive. Yeah, and it's a tough gig. I see that. I've lived it. I've seen others. Uh, we expect a lot of our leaders. The fourth question is in respect to your own leadership development and knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to the younger version of yourself? (laughs) 
Uh, look, I'd probably say don't sweat the small stuff. I think uh, what happens is that you can often get caught up in detail that distracts you from you know, the, the, the bigger prize. The, the important the stuff. The really important yeah. stuff. I mean, and, and I've come to realise that organisations, they're organic. You need to keep moving, keep changing, but there are some structural things you need in organisations to make them successful. Our industry suffered, I think, for many years because it's been focused in an operational context. It actually hasn't lent into and put that a corporate uh, and uh, you know, governance structure into play as well as it should have. So uh, I'd be saying don't sweat the small stuff, keep, keep all that uh, moving, but have a look at what that master plan is and how you need to build the skills in people and build the systems in the organisation to bring that home because that's really where... Uh, you'll achieve the, the great things that we need to do. Yeah, and, and the you know, with the the key message there being uh, being really clear about the important stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually think that leaders le, le, leaders are responsible for strategy and direction. I, I often get I often go and talk to people, and they talk to me about morale, and they'll talk to me about the culture of the organisation and 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 the attitude of people. Um, and my response to them is that. Well, my job is that I'm responsible for, for strategy and direction and, and also um, a purpose and inspiration, but it's not morale. You know, my morale's been pretty good for 44 years. I think that's uh, something we've got to take forward. If I've got the uh, direction, the purpose, the inspiration and the support, if I've got those things right, it should create the right environment for people's morale to be uh, fantastic. So I'm trying to actually suggest to people that they have some ownership of this because they too often just push it back onto uh, the leader and say, uh, it's something you should be doing for me. Yeah, and, that, and that's work in progress for our sector. The fifth and final question is, if you had a magic wand, what's an ability you would give current leaders in our sector right now? <laughs> I would wave that wand, Andrew, and uh, give them all um, an A-plus in emotional intelligence. The, I think um, yeah. the EQ... Talk to, talk to that more. Oh, well, I think the EQ skills of our people are sometimes lacking, uh, and I think they put, uh, put an emphasis on operational uh, imperatives outweighing, if you like, the, the emotional imperatives, and they can be quite blunt and hard in, that, in some ways, very damaging in the way they approach other people. So I've seen that in every jurisdiction I've worked in. Um, I actually think the soft skills are something we need to build into our learning programs. But that would be, if I had that wand, the wand, my, the, the magic thing I would do would be give them all a, a serious dose of EQ skill. Fair enough. That covers the five questions, and that brings us to the to the end. Thank you, Bruce, and thank you for taking time today. Uh, you know, the, the whole objective of these podcasts is to let others maybe avoid the potholes that we all have uh, walked into. And given your you know, broad now broad experience across the sector, I was always going to be keen to have this chat with you. Just to, to close off, I, I found a, a little quote here that by a gentleman by the name of W.E.B. Du Bois, who was a civil rights activist and author. And he said, be honest, frank and fearless and get some grasp of the real values of life. Read some good, heavy, serious books just for discipline, 
take yourself in hand and master yourself. Mate, any, any final qu- comments you want to make? Yeah, look, what, what I'd say... Advice to those out there? Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's a challenge to be a leader in, in today's world. Too often, everyone's ready to have a crack at you, and you've got to be pretty resilient. So you firstly, you need to have some resilient coping skills. Mine, as you know, Andrew, mine have always sort of leaned into golf and music um, in, in that context. But the other thing I'd say to, to leaders or people aspiring to be leaders... Uh, recognise that part of our job is to be organisational disruptors. We've actually got to challenge the process. We've actually got to have a look at things and try and see how they could be improved or what we could do better. The final statement I'd probably make about leadership, and it's something I strive to do and it'll be for others to judge, but I think the leadership key is that we have to translate vision into reality. Too often leaders will come up with a vision but they'll actually fail to convert that into the reality for their organisation. And that's the difficult piece. I've worked for many people who've espoused a great vision, but they've never been able to land it. So I think, you know, that's a real skill that sits within this as, in this piece as well. So to all the aspiring leaders out there, don't be frightened to be a disruptor. Excellent. And thank you. And thank you, Bruce, for your service to now many states and territories around our nation. It's been a pleasure talking to you today and I look forward to catching up with you soon. All the best, Andrew. Cheers. Cheers.